Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. It's also your meeting place for John Redling Schaefer. Welcome to the show, John. It is a pleasure to be here, John. First time listener, long time. No, just kidding. <laughs> let's let's start that all over. I'm no. so befuddled <laughs> by what you just did. I'm <laughs> I, I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. And you know, this is a dumpster fire waiting to happen. And it's and lonely Sean, at the top. <laughs> and Sean Degenhardt is with us. As oh well. yeah, that guy too. Hi. <laughs> Do you want to redo that? Or are you good? Uh, no, go ahead and redo it. I, right. I, appreciate, I, I appreciate the sentiment. Let's just right. keep it uniform. All right. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. I'm John Alois, and I'm joined by Sean Redling Schaefer. And John Dagenhart. <laughs> so who says hi? I'm so confused. But it... Let's say it together. Hi. hi. <laughs> so that everyone knows who's who, Sean Dagenhart. Yep, I'm here. And John Redling Schaefer. Hi, still me. Hi. <laughs> we hope you're having a great week. We also hope you're following us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, at Hub Hyperion. You can email us. We would love to hear from you. Podcast at thehyperionhub.com. And if you're so inclined, please like, subscribe, share, enjoy our show, and spread it around the world for us. <laughs> Sit on your front porch and play it real loud for your neighbors. What are we spreading? I'm so confused. I like that. Sit on your front porch. That's great. We like to start things off with our Disney views. Other shows have Disney news. We start with Disney views. And for that, I'm going to throw it over to views man, John Redling Schaefer. Whew. Thank you, Edward R. Newman. I will just say this. For those of you that have known me longer than 30 seconds, I am known to be carrying multiple bottles or containers of hand sanitizer as a bit of a germaphobe. Now, I got good news as... Ah, someone who gets rather queasy when he's at a theme park and talking in common areas or looking around and having to share and touch the same things. I recently saw that Walt Disney World is rolling out a new type of soda fountain. Now, my suburban friend would call this what? A pop fountain, right? <laughs> I think okay. soda fountain works, but the, the common drink is called pop, yes. Okay, so let's try to find the happy medium here. I'm standing at a soda fountain trying to get my favorite pop, and imagine that now I don't have to hit the push button with, that has been pushed by all the gooey yeah, children and everybody else that's just gross. And now all I have to do is set my cup down, which has already got the little chip reader so you know how many days you have left to fill your cup. But instead of hitting a button, instead imagine two little pieces of plastic with sensors on it sticking out from that little area and you simply hold your finger between it, and it fills your glass. That, my friends, is peace on earth for a germaphobe. Now, if we can introduce this to the cruise line, because Lord have mercy, if you've never seen the ice cream dispenser machine and the soda dispenser machine on those ships, oh, just drive you batty. But I have to find a silver lining. It's been a rough couple of years, but maybe we're finding some good out of the post-pandemic world of ways that we can just keep those yucky children off to themselves and their germs with them. 
It's not only the children. I'm an equal opportunity germaphobe. Um, but what, you know, I, I, I kid, but yet at the same time, we have seen, I think, positive, you have to look for it, but we have seen some positive developments in society and at Disney uh, as we come out of this. You know, for example, we now have the pre-order ideas with the quick service counters, right? It's just like what you can do at a restaurant with the with the curbside delivery almost, you know? You just order it in advance, you can go get it and save yourself some time. Uh, I applaud Disney for trying to come through for people like me, and, and sure, I'm sure that means more pieces that could break, uh, but I feel that much more comfortable doing things that ordinarily would, especially in the last couple of years, would give me pause. Well, we are thrilled to have with us as a guest, our first uh, Grammy-nominated guest. Um, he is a writer, producer, um, written books for um, the Disney Parks, Disney Corporate, Warner Brothers, Universal, Cartoon Network, Disney Records, Sony, Album Liner Notes, you name it. He has probably written it. And especially my favorite part was the on-hold copy when you're at the parks, when you're on the phone. Uh, please make welcome Greg Airbar. Greg, welcome to the Hyperion Hub. Thank you very much for having me here. We are so excited to talk to you today. We always want to back up and learn how you got interested in Disney. Was it as a kid? Was it visits to the parks? Was it a favorite movie? Um, so what was the entry for you into the world of Disney? Well, for me, records were the video before there was video. And so the only way that you could, to me, I mean, there's books and those are nice. And we had the golden books. But to me, the way that you you could make the the cartoons and things that you love come to life were to play records to me. And I grew up with children's records that told stories. I think that's uh, a very mind stimulating thing to be able to picture stuff uh, in your mind. And there's a lot of these classic records on YouTube now uh, that a lot of collectors have posted. Uh, and some of them are still available for download. Uh, from from some of the original uh, distributors. So that's what I grew up with. And I love the idea of having audio of my favorite TV shows and cartoons and movies anytime I wanted to. And it's not the same uh, having no picture as it is having the picture because you pay more attention to the details that you miss because you're busy looking at the picture. So uh, for, as far as Disney goes, uh, I, I had Disney records in my house since I was a baby because my dad bought the soundtracks to Peter Pan, Pinocchio, and Snow White. And uh, when I was born in the shopping center where I was born, in Cross County Hospital in, uh, in Yonkers, New York, there was a hospital in the shopping center near the Sears where the, uh, my, my dad bought his Silvertone stereo. And so records were right near my, my, uh, my birthing place. So... Uh, I, those were all, I still have them. I still have those copies. So they've, they've long since been replaced by better copies, but I still have them. And uh, like so many people, it's, it's kind of the same story. You love it. You watch the television shows, you go to the reissues because growing up, there were some new things. I, I did see Mary Poppins, uh, when it went into general release two times. Um, I, I remember losing a nickel under my seat and a nickel was a lot of money and my cousin's getting mad at me because watch the movie, you'll find a nickel later. I mean, that's the kind of things you remember <laughs> as a kid. Um, and, and I saw the reissue and, uh, you know, it was very, very thrilling when you could suddenly own them on VHS and on DVD. And in a way, as, as people, uh, 
who, who sound like they would, you know, when I was a kid, we used to whittle toys out of stone. <laughs> you know, uh, there was something to be said for lining up in a theater with a line, I'm not making this up, went around the block to see Blackbeard's ghost or the computer wore tennis shoes or, or the jungle book or Mary Poppins. The lines were long and it was thrilling and it was an event. And then when they started showing them on cable, very slowly and very sparingly, it was very exciting. So uh, it, the fact that you can just reach over and get them or now just stream them is quite wonderful. And then when I first went to Walt Disney World, I went with a school trip because I grew up, we moved to Florida. I grew up in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, and the school started taking us on trips in 72. Now, when Walt Disney announced he was building in Florida, my grandmother was the first to call and say, I read this in the paper. But my grandmother was the kind of grandmother who calls and says, I read an article that, you know, uh, you know, National Enquirer kind of things, that Martians will pull your teeth out and things like that. It's like, we don't believe you. And, you know, well, yeah, like Walt Disney is going to build Disneyland in Florida, of all places, you know, that's the last place he built. You know, we were all just, we thought she was crazy. But then he did. And we couldn't believe it. And you couldn't believe that in Florida you step into Magic Kingdom and this is in Florida. You can't you can't imagine how surreal that felt. Can't imagine how getting off the bus and seeing a monorail go by and it says Walt Disney World Transportation System on it, what that does to like a four, 13, 14 year old kid. Um, and that's when I said, you know, this is something I'm going to aim for. Somehow I want to be a part of this and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want it to be part of my life somehow. And that was a gift because it gave me some direction through school. And, and I always, always thinking that even if I never made it to Disney per se, it gave me something to shoot for because it's always nice to have some kind of a goal and having the goal is important, whether or not you get it. Cause I think there's too much of this message to kids now about you have to reach the top, you know, crush, crush heads till you reach the top. You know, swing a hammer and, and, and hit people with sticks and kickbox till you hit the top. I don't think it's about the top. I think it's, it's about getting there and learning and, and everything is part of it. And, you know, it's, a, it's that journey thing. You know, it sounds like a book or something, but it's true. And so I was always grateful for Disney for being that goal. I think it was when I first went to Walt Disney World and then I went back and then I would go for day trips and then we went as a family and and like that and um, that sort of thing. And that was kind of, the, and then we eventually moved to Orlando and um, and that's a whole other story there. So you, when you were going into college, you majored in communications, I believe. Yeah. Did you have your sights set on Disney as you were going into college thinking this is my avenue or... Well, the three places I wanted to work most in the 70s, because this is the 70s where these were thriving places, were uh, Disney First, Hanna-Barbera, Filmation, or Rankin-Bass. And I uh, All three actually winners. spent, yeah, and I spent time uh, actually either talking to or in sitting in offices at each place saying, I love this company so much, I want to work here so bad. You know, um, and of course, like, you know, you're a kid or, or you're just a naive person or you know, uh, that it's just, but I still, I got re a direct rejection letter with that swirly Hanna-Barbera star on it, you know, and, oh, it's so beautiful. And I got a Rankin-Bass rejection letter. And, um, 
you know, it, it, you're a kid, you know, and then I got a Disney thing that said what you needed to know about working there. And there was an opening that I, I was in high school and I was not qualified, but I thought I was, and there was just no way, but that's, I thought I'd just work out of high school. I, I didn't know what I needed to know. And what I learned and what I tell young people is everything you do in the jobs you take and, and in the classes you take are going to be useful, even if you don't see it now. So I worked at Burger King. Great job when you're in your team. Not the worst job if you're an adult either, you know. And I worked at um, JCPenney and at uh, Woolworth, which was the Woolco department stores, you know, and um, all through college. That's how I paid my way. And I learned on the job a lot of the things that I later used at Disney. Because working with people is working with people and learning systems, learning uh, what they call SOPs, standard operating procedures, learning management issues, learning politics, learning dealing with coworkers, uh, guest service, all of those things you learn as you grow. And it's never a waste of time. It's never a waste of time. So it was all a growing, but I was always trying to like hit the big, it was like, you know, it was like Lucy wants to be in the show. You know, I, I'm working at Burger King, but I also want to have a radio show where I can play my records, you know, play, pl you know, and, and so I'm going to radio stations with my demo, you know, and, and every, every few months it's like, they're going to buy it. They're going to buy it. And I come this close, but I'm still working at Burger King and I'm trying to sell comic book. Remember those hostess comic book ads they had with like superheroes, like Thor gets Twinkies. Well, I got the idea that what if they did that with um, with Burger King and did comic book ads. So I drew some and I took them to Burger King to the main office in Miami. And, you know, I got I got a letter from J. Walter Thompson. It's a very nice goodbye, but it was still a letter from J. Walter Thompson and a nice meeting. And I'm a kid working at Burger King. You know, it, it was still cool stuff that I learned from. And, um, and I actually got a radio show on uh, in 1980 on the uh, the Dade County school system. And because it was public radio, you could play records. So I, I did this thing where I was talking to the records and I would play stories and songs and it was played in the Dade County schools. And that was on for 13 weeks. And, and, uh, and I still have those and they're just, they're just not that good, but you know, it was pretty exciting at the time. And, um, so I was always trying to do something, but I, but my big goal was, Oh, I'm going to go to, to Burbank and work for Disney or, you know, Hanna-Barbera or Filmation. Now, I have to interject because over the last few minutes we've had here, or the first few minutes, excuse me, I've heard nothing but energy and positivity. You know, you're working at a Burger King with a never-say-never never attitude that I, I don't think you see much anymore. And I have to ask, what, who, what? Uh, was it yourself? Was it your own drive? Was it someone in particular that instilled in you this never say give up attitude. And quite frankly, the, the, the sky is always sunny and blue. I mean, even your backstory here is just so, uh, what's the right word? It's just so inspiring. So what, how, how did you keep motivating yourself? Was it, was it a person or just your own drive? Well, it, it does have to do with my parents. Um, uh, my dad always believed in me. Um, I, 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 my dad's in my dreams almost every night. Um, he died in 2004 
Um, I, <laughs> I'm at risk of becoming verklempt. Okay. But my dad loved music and loved records. And he taught me that. And um, he, he just instilled in me, you know, uh, hard work and perseverance and, um, you know, and he had, my dad was kind of like Ward Cleaver, but he looked like Mr. Weatherby. And he had those, you know, those sayings, you know, like, sometimes you hear son, but you don't listen, you know, which are corny, but true. I, I still, I mean, my wife and my, my wife said, adored him too. And it's funny because my, uh, my stepfather is an awful lot like him and uh, he's not very well now. And we're 3000 miles away and, and caring, helping care for him long distance. Cause he's a wonderful guy. And, and my mom was a polar opposite to him, but she was, she could be hypercritical, but she also instilled in me that ambition to like, you know, you can, I know you can do this. Um, and she, she was the one who was, who got excited about things and had ideas about things. Um, she, she taught me, she gave me a discerning eye. I found it very surprising when I got into college and was learning about how advertising and television and all the things and how, how, you know, it's kind of manipulative and how advertising and marketing worked. And I always knew that as a kid, you know, the, the, the way it worked and all, and how many of the students didn't realize that. And I'm thinking, gee, my mom told me this when I was five, you know, these are actors and this commercial isn't true. And, you know, the things that Carol Channing tells you on the Marlo Thomas free to be album, you know, that lady's an actress and she's not really loving that she's dusting, you know, that kind of thing. It, so, so I learned from watching Merv Griffin with my mom about, you know, this is kind of the, that kind of thing, even though she was not in, in entertainment or anything between the two of them. The other thing was, um, and so it was tenacity. Um, Cause I think that a lot of people are much more talented, um, but, but tenacity is what they don't have. I think there's people way more talented who, and I've known them, um, but they have a million reasons why not. Uh, and and so I, I think that's part of it. Uh, I, I also feel like, and it does get me down sometimes because um, I do feel like sometimes the things I love, I get frustrated that people don't understand. Why do you love that? I mean, you guys understand. Why do you love that stuff? You know, I did have relatives that would say to my parents, what's wrong with that kid? Why does he like that that crap? You know, what's it going to get him? You know, and it would get on my mom. You know, they would make her feel bad. You know, uh, I would want I would want a, uh, a, a, you know, a Flintstone thing for Christmas. And she'd say, what am I going to say to our relatives when you unwrap that? You know, and say, it's what I want. It's about cartoons. It's about animation, you know, but then they'd take her to the side thing. You know, well, you know, I don't know what to deal with that kid. Because they didn't understand it. But to me, it's like, what a gift to have something that brings you such joy. What a, what a thrill for me to put on Camerata's Alice in Wonderland album. And no matter how many times I listen to it, it just, just, you know, if I'm sad, it makes me happy. If I'm happy, it makes me happier. It, it, it just, you know, what a, how few people get that. So when I feel like some people are trying to stomp me down and there are people who find me very annoying, um, I'm, not everyone loves me, 
you know, I'm not perfect. Uh, I, I try to remember that maybe it's because they don't understand that and they may never get that joy. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't know what that's like. I'll give you one other thing. Um, and this has nothing. Well, it has to do with Disney indirectly. A very good friend, George Pal, was a very good friend of Walt Disney's. They were not competitors. They were friends. As a matter of fact, there are connections between animatronics and puppetoons and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of commonality at the same people worked on the films uh, together. And there's a lot of similarities in there, what they did and the innovations they did. Well, one of my favorite movies is a movie hardly anybody knows and isn't, it was kind of tossed to the side. It's called the wonderful world of the brothers Grimm. And it's never really been seen properly because it was made in Cinerama. And for that reason, you can't see it right unless you sit in a Cinerama theater and how easy is that? So because it wasn't the hit that how the West was one was, uh, it didn't have as big stars and it did very well, but not compared to how the West was one. It's like, it's like Tarzan and Pocahontas and, and uh, you know, and those movies after Lion King, you know, they're not as big. So since they're not huge, we don't care. So that was neglected and it had water damage and it was considered lost and it might never be seen the same again. It was transferred to a poor print. It was never seen properly. Um, so people who've seen it don't think that much of it. And I think part of the reason is because they never saw it correctly. Because part of it's like Sleeping Beauty. If you don't see it the way it was meant to be seen, at least in as nice of a print as you can and as wide of a screen as you can, you're not seeing it, you know, and, and that's the case with this film. No one's ever seen it in Technicolor since like 62 and no one's seen it in the way they've just released it in Blu-ray in this thing called smile box. Well, I want to see, I'm bringing this up because I watched it and I know this movie well, because I have the soundtrack album with the dialogue on it. And I identify with, the Wilhelm character because all these guys want to do, all, all he wants to do is collect fairy tales and all through it, he's being told how worthless they are and how stupid it is and what a dreamer he is and what a moron he is and how he's ruining their lives. And they have important stuff to do. And at the end they get this award and the fairy tales aren't mentioned. And he says, I guess everyone's right. You know, the fairy tales are something that does, they're a quick read. They're easily forgotten. I need to get over it. You know, and it just choked me up at the end because I'm not going to give the ending away because you watch it. But, geez, it's what we do. You know, we're dedicated to this stuff that a lot of people through our lives have said, why do you like that stuff? Well, because it's so wonderful. You know, it's joyful. And it's not a happy world all the time. Famous musicians listened to music that their parents didn't like or their relatives didn't like like artists watched cartoons you know and people wondered how's that going to lead to success for you video game developers were once video gamers and i'm sure people looked at them and said what a waste of time mm -hmm. you find what you love and it can help lead you to your future so you're coming out of college and uh, you went to Florida Atlantic, right? And you said you were yes. uh, sending out resumes and, and, and requests. And you, you mentioned Filmation, by the way. I have a soft spot in my heart for Filmation. Oh, so do I. <laughs> so do I. And I will defend them when people are, are dissing them. It's like, oh, you know what? 
I'll take a great filmation cartoon that barely moves <laughs> over so, something that moves great that doesn't doesn't make me smile. I'm a big He-Man you know? fan. So you mentioned that you you uh, try to get in interviews, I assume, from these places. How, what led you from college into your field, into um, producing film, uh, audio, television, everything that you ended up doing at Disney? How did you get there? Oh, it was, it was well. First, I, when I came out of college, um, I I went to Hollywood to seek my fortune, and I remember getting on the plane, feeling like Bilbo Baggins going into that dark tunnel, saying, "When you walk through this, this is going to be the bravest thing you ever do," <laughs> and and hugging my dad because you know no one else in my family would get up that early, and my dad did, and it's funny, it's my dad who who dropped me off. And then my dad would pick me up a week later because I went during the worst possible time and I didn't know anything. It's like 82. Um, I had saved all my money up to go away forever to California. And I went during hiatus time where no one was hiring. And usually you could get a job at a film lab or something as an apprentice and just start. And nobody, no one was hiring. I couldn't even get hired at fast food places. I mean, no place, but I did get to sit down with a friend of mine, Jim Magon, who uh, still is a very good friend. He was a Disney record producer who became a story editor on, you know, he helped create Tailspin and DuckTales and, and things like that. And I had been writing to him uh, since the late 70s because of the records he made. And I was sending him these long letters with all these questions. And so we're, you know, we became friends through the mail. And so I got to meet him. And, you know, it's funny. You talk about the uh, the energy. Well, this was when the studio hadn't been mostly changed to buildings. You know, it still had a lot. And I was walking around the back lot. And they were just about to shoot Something Wicked This Way Comes. So the, the town square was there. And the Pete's Dragon Street was there. Uh, the church from uh, North Avenue Regulars. All and the, so all I'm the walking 70s. around. Yeah, all the 70s. Movies. Yeah. And I'm, I'm walking around like, ah, oh, and I was so, you know, and I just bought this suit and I had, and I had the, the price tag on the outside of the cup and I couldn't see the price tag. I mean, you could not be more of a moron, you know? I mean, I just had moron written all over me, just naive. And not only that, but in California, you don't wear three piece suits. You know, I didn't know anything, but he was very kind you know, he couldn't do anything, but he was very kind. And I'm walking around and I'm so excited. He says, Greg, you've got to like put your feet down on the ground and relax because you're going to make somebody very sick. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I was so excited, but it was very, very thrilling. And I did go to Hanna-Barbera and talk to a guy, um, got to use the restroom. That was exciting. Things like that, but it, but there was no work. So I went back, and fortunately, Florida State University still had uh, had an opening in their in their internship. Uh, greatest thing in the world. Got a internship in Miami with a production company, which was just small enough where you got to do everything. So I started as a PA, and within a year, I was writing for them. I was writing press releases and writing scripts and publicity. And, and they, they taught me how to uh, pay the crew, how to put bu the budgets together, how to, I, I actually liked, and I'm not a math guy, but I actually liked doing um, expense sheets and these things that, you know, doing researching. Um, 
I, I became a casting director. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's one actress, Darcy Sheehan. Oh, my gosh. You know, what a thrill to be a casting director when you had people you saw potential in and you just threw something at them and you saw them take it and run with it. And then they got the job and, and, they, and you saw the chemistry. This lady, Darcy Sheehan, she did a couple of spots that we worked on. She was on Mad Men. She played um, Betty's mo- um, uh, mother, stepmother, who was really mean. And she and she's on Facebook, and she she keeps she, you know she's a character actress, but she keeps working because she's so good, you know. And it's like that's so gratifying to have done. To, and I know it has nothing to do with me. It's just that that she came at her and she got work. Now there's people who it was the same thing at Disney. Disney uh, Disney World employs. You know, and hopefully, please God, that a lot of these people will start working again, you know, because there's probably the greatest concentration of talent in Central Florida because of all the theme parks, not just Disney, but all the theme parks. Um, it, it's spectacular what all of these folks can do and how they can go from one show to another with total ease. They're incredibly versatile. And I got to know quite a bit of those folks uh, and, and became friends with them as well. I, I love talented people. I get very attached um, to a- actors after working with them. And I find that uh, not everybody does. That's another thing I found that in, in, uh, in production that I would want to like send them tapes or, or you know, of the, of, and, and, that, and some of the producers are like, oh, we're done, you know, move on. And it's like, yeah, but they didn't even get a tape. They didn't even get a copy of this. And I found out how few times that happens. Uh, for example, a um, friend of mine uh, who worked at Disney, she designed the Ruthless People uh, poster with this big screw on it and stuff and all. And she, she met Bette Midler and she said, you know, I never got a VHS of that. <laughs> Could you send me one? And she's Bette Midler. You know, because they just assumed she got one. And I, I sent uh, June Perret I gave June Foray a, um, a Rocky and Bullwinkle read-along. Um, I did a read-along. I'm very proud of this because it was a Disney read-along for Rocky and Bullwinkle, which was a universal picture, hmm. but it was a Buena Vista recording. They used to do a lot of those, right? Yeah. 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 And, and Corey Burton was the narrator and he did this great William Conrad. And I wrote it in, 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 in you know, Jay Ward speak. And, and June Foray never got one. She says, I've never even seen this. You know, you think that these people get all the merch. They don't get it. They don't even know half the stuff is made, you know? So uh, I, I just think these people are, are so wonderful and talented. And when you work in a production, you see all, you suddenly see all the people around and then you see the talents, just a portion of that. So I worked in production there and then, um, then, Work just dried up, and I had to go back into working in retail. So I decided, well, I'm going to concentrate on freelance writing. Um, and so I started publishing articles. And then we just decided, well, you know, there's nothing happening in South Florida. Let's take a big risk and move to Central Florida and see what we can see. And I had absolutely no prospects, and we just moved to Central Florida. And we all got, you know, just all got jobs and i got into disney um through the resorts area and i what i was doing at first was i was i was i started finding freelance work writing but to get in 
I, I uh, took a job on the phones in the reservation. So it's funny because I was in reservations and then I ended up writing the recording for all over <laughs> 10 years that's played on that system. And I would call up reservations and say, could you put me on hold so I can listen to the recording? But it was a great, great job. Once again, you know, never say, oh, this job is beneath me or uh, what a waste of time or why should I do this? What a great job. What was cool about the Disney reservation thing is all that information was necessary because the people on the phones had to have access to it. Ooh, that means I have access to it. That means I can find out about absolutely all kinds of cool stuff. So when a new hotel opens, I find out all about how many rooms it has. Blah, blah, blah. You know, when a new attraction opens, we have to give this information. So within a couple of years, I was writing for them. Now, they didn't give you the title of writer. They called it information processor. So I said, well, not really a processor. And they said, well, okay, we'll change it to specialist. And then we did a newsletter, and I turned it into a comedy newsletter. I said, these people have a tense job. Let's give them something funny, you know, and, and things like that. So we, we tried to keep it light. And then I did a video. Um, uh, this was actually something we did on the outside of our, of our hours, because they said, you could only do this outside your hours. Um, we made a training video, but I turned it into a half hour sitcom because when the Caribbean beach resort opened, it was the first, uh, it was originally a value resort. It's, it's now considered a moderate, but it was the very first resort that did not have all of the amenities that, people normally expected from a Disney resort. You didn't have a monorail. You didn't have, at the time, there was no, nothing but pizza. Didn't have full room service. Uh, the rooms were not ornate at first. They've gotten much more. There was not a table service restaurant. There is now. Uh, there, it, It's changed. But at first, it was very no frills. So they needed a, a, a way to, to, for people to be able to import that to the callers. So I said, well, let's make it a happy Donna Reed kind of family and with their cranky aunt and through her and she's hard of hearing. So through her, we can repeat all of the important points. And we had commercials and we had a theme song and, and, uh, and we actually reenacted the whole Donna Reed show opening in my sister's living room with the going down the stairs <laughs> and smiling at each other. And we shot this, we shot at the hotel at two in the morning. So there wouldn't be guests there. And, I mean, it was it was like an Ed Wood movie, you know. We actually ran out onto onto I four, um, and because we had no permit, you know, the, the we had a crew of like two guys. They went onto the overpass to shoot us driving underneath the overpass. You get this great aerial shot of us driving into the exit. I mean, it was it was a blast. But this so this film was a lot. So film was really turned out. It was a video, but. It was so gratifying. Now, this is while I'm a reservation guy and, and doing the information. So I'm always having these crazy things. So I start sending this thing around. I actually sent the one to Dave Smith. And he says, oh, we put a number on it. It's in our archives. I'm like, oh, my video is in the archives. Wow. You know, you do these little things. I was writing for you. you were, when you're a Disney cast member, and I got this verified by legal. So you can freelance within the company. And I, I went to legal and asked, you know, who do I talk to? And you could freelance as long as whatever you're doing is not in direct competition. So it's like, well, so you don't go to another resort company 
and do work for them. You know, you don't go to Universal Park and do, you know, Disney. You wouldn't do that. It would be wrong. So, so if you do it within Disney, Imagineers write books, you know, animators write books, that kind of thing. So what the freelancing I was doing was for the marketing department. And that's how I got to know some of the people in the marketing department. And I also, a place called Resort Design, which later became Attractions Merchandise. I wrote a lot of merchandise. I was writing uh, copy for small ads. I wrote something called the Chippendale Adventure Club for Discovery Island before that closed. And I wrote all kinds of little, little things because they did small things that marketing didn't really have time for anymore. I also worked on Port Orleans Resort um, and giving names and, and on uh, Yacht Club and coming up with names for, for uh, some of the restaurants and amenities. When Ariel's was a restaurant at Yacht Club, that was my idea. And I named um, some, of the, some of the food there. Port Orleans, I had the most to do with. My wife grew up in the New Orleans area. And she helped me a lot with that. But uh, a lot of what's at Port Orleans, I actually named. Um, there was, uh, there's Scat Cats Cafe. Um, there was no Aristocats tie-in with Port Orleans. I did that. And actually, Bonfamille's Cafe was the sit-down restaurant originally. That closed, but that was also a tie-in with it. That was all at Resort Design. And then there was, an, then somebody came to Resort Design who worked in marketing and said, there's an opening over there. And so between what I had been doing for all of those things and plus that little 30 minute video helped because it was like you had no money and you put this thing together and it's kind of nuts. I was fortunate. There was a wonderful person named Joe Schneider who said, I'm going to take a chance on you because, you know, you're not from an agency or anything. And we're like an ad agency in marketing and, and advertising uh, creative. Um, but I just think you have something. Uh, I don't know if that's possible as much now because as companies grow, they get very hung up on, you know, you've got to have this credential, and that credential, agency, agency. And there's a lot of talent out there that it might be nice to get a chance. And I ended up staying there for the rest of my career from 1990 to uh, 2016. I still did freelance for them even after because I still freelance for them. In the second part of our interview with Greg Airbar, we will talk about the book he helped to write, Mouse Tracks, the story of Walt Disney Records. That and more next week. Until then, we're going to ask you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And whatever social media you're on, feel free to share the show with your friends and tell more people about the Hyperion Hub. Email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. And you can also send us a voice recorded message there if you're going to the parks soon or if you have a Disney story and you'd like to record it and share it with us, we'd love to hear from you. Have a great week, everybody. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub. Yeah.